from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Tony will be back with you next week when he returns from vacation. And for now, it's my pleasure to be with you. Today on the program, still a lot going on in Afghanistan that we are going to cover. Jeff King, the president of International Christian Concern, will be with us and talk about the latest developments for Afghani Christians. Over the weekend, the CIA met with leaders of the Taliban, What happened and what does that mean for our involvement in the region? General Boykin will be with us to discuss that. In addition, Congress is back in session for better or worse, often for worse. How are events in Afghanistan affecting what's happening on Capitol Hill? Or are they? Uh, Representative Andy Biggs, who is the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, will join us to talk about the events on Capitol Hill this week. I'd like to remind you that you can find the program, every program at TonyPerkins.com. I encourage you to do that. Also, download the Stand Firm app wherever you get your apps. Type in Stand Firm, download the app from FRC, and you can get every Washington Watch program, as well as a whole bunch of other FRC resources delivered directly to your phone. That's the Stand Firm app. Now, To begin the program, about two hours ago, the White House issued a statement on President Biden's meeting with G7 leaders and said that he had conveyed that our mission in Kabul will end based on the achievement of our objectives. He also reportedly confirmed the U.S. is, quote, currently on pace to finish by August 31st, but also that but also that he asked the Pentagon and State Department for contingency plans to adjust the timeline should that become necessary. Fortunately, we appear to be making plans now. This comes even after statements made Taliban spokesman made by a Taliban spokesman who said that there will not be a deadline extension, including these remarks made today. Have you received any requests from the Americans to extend the evacuation, uh, the evacuation scheme beyond that date? And are there any circumstances under which you would agree to extending that date? Uh, I don't think we will extend the deadline. 31st. It is their plan, is the American plan. This was already not according to the agreement. They have opportunity. They have all the resources. They can take all the people that belong to them. We are not going to allow uh, Afghans leave, and we will not extend the deadline. What can we make of all of it? With me now to talk about it is Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, serves as a member of the House Armed Services Committee, and she represents the 4th Congressional District of Missouri. Congresswoman Hartzler, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, it sounds like President Biden is planning to stick to his August 31st deadline, but he seems to be equivocating and creating potentially plans for um, going beyond that if he deems it necessary. What do you make of uh, the statement today from the White House? Well, clearly, uh, the Taliban is calling the shots. And this is a a total surrender. It is a defeat that is uh, something that could have been avoided and that it is totally at the hands of President Biden. He has been a 
uh, incompetent and incapable of leading this country in many aspects, but certainly with this botched Afghanistan withdrawal, it is it is uh, it is just heartbreaking. It is infuriating. It is a disaster of monumental proportions, and this is the largest foreign policy failure of a generation. And the lives of American citizens are uh, in his hands, and the blood is going to be on his hands when something happens to him. I mean, to not say that we're going to get every American out is just shocking. Uh, the way that this entire operation has been carried out has been a failure. Beginning in, in the spring, setting an arbitrary deadline of 9-11 to get our people out, to, to withdraw, but yet not taking plans to actually getting them out. Uh, we have thousands of Americans trapped right now in this country because President Biden and this administration did not get them out. We have thousands of Afghani interpreters that worked alongside our soldiers bravely and who uh, were responsible for saving many American lives. And yet there's no plan to get them out. And we have uh, just a horrific tragedy on our hands at what's going to happen to women and girls in this country. It didn't need to be like this. And yet because of his failure of planning, um, this is just a, a disaster. Um, it is truly, truly uh, heartbreaking and uh, just sickening. There has been a lot of conversation, uh, especially with Jen Psaki, about whether Americans are actually stranded in Afghanistan. The uh, White House has said, uh, no, they're not stranded. The debate almost seems to be about what the definition of stranded is. Um, do you think, are there Americans who are currently stranded in Afghanistan, and uh, are we going to be able to get them out, if so? Yes, there are. My colleagues and I have been getting phone calls from family members of individuals, and we're uh, working around the clock to try to get them out. The State Department has uh, had a very botched operation in that how they've handled this. Now there's one portal, a computer, that we're supposed to uh, enter the information in through an email. And what we have is actually heroic contractors and former veterans going over on their own, going in and getting Americans out. It is shocking that it has come down to that because the operations at the airport and of this government is totally incompetent to get them out. So there are Americans still there. I know the State Department is working, doing uh, somewhat what they can, but many Americans, we're hearing stories, cannot get through the Taliban lines that are surrounding the airport. And make no mistake, the Taliban not only controls the country, they control the airport. And we have our American soldiers within the airport, but the Taliban is calling all the shots. They are beating up Americans. Our soldiers are prohibited from going and, and helping beyond the Taliban line. Uh, everything our State Department is doing is they are going to the Taliban and asking permission whether they can do that. And you just heard their spokesperson say, oh, Americans can get out. Well, first of all, that's very concerning because we're seeing that they're prohibiting and making it difficult for Americans to get there. Americans are in hiding, but also they said, we're not going to allow any Afghans out. So that was a very key point. He is saying that all these thousands of Afghani interpreters who fought alongside us in the war, uh, they're not going to let them out. And they are going to be killed. We are already hearing stories of beheadings and lynchings and being beaten to death. Uh, these interpreters are are 
uh, in hiding as well with their families. They're trying to get to the airport as well. The Taliban just said they're not going to allow that. And the question we have for the Biden administration is, uh, what are we going to do? Are we going to send out American soldiers to help bring these people to the airport to safety? Or are they just going to be sacrificed? And are we going to go back on our word and be further damaged on the world stage and have allies in the future say, how can we trust you? What does Americans' word mean when we say, you fought alongside of us, we will help you have freedom. Uh, this is a monumental moment. And if Biden doesn't step up and provide security for our citizens and for others that need to get out, um, I, I shudder to think what would happen. And I think that he should resign. We're speaking with Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler. Now, Congresswoman, uh, GOP help members, your colleagues held several press conferences today uh, focused on Afghanistan. It was very clear where their focus is. Uh, here's a clip from a press conference involved, uh, organized by House Minority Whip Steve Scalise. We'll play this and let you respond. We want President Biden's focus on rescuing every American who he left behind enemy lines and to give us an accounting of who they are. We're going to continue to press for legislation on the House floor to confront that this week. How strong would you say is the consensus among your colleagues about Afghanistan? Oh, it's 100 percent consensus. And I was there at that press conference and couldn't agree more. I mean, the basic thing that we are asking in this legislation is just to let us know how many Americans are there and what is the how many people are we getting now? I mean, this shouldn't be a hard question to, to answer. Yet the Biden administration doesn't even know how many Americans are there. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. Another one of your colleagues, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, Michael Waltz, talked about what you and others in Congress have been doing, what you plan to do. I don't play that as as well. Are we going to have another Pulse nightclub? Are we going to have another San Bernardino? Are we going to have another 9-11 because of that incompetence? Well, this Congress is going to lead. Our offices right now are operation centers calling gate guards, calling the Kabul airport, guiding people through, telling them how to avoid Taliban checkpoints, our own Congress. It's unbelievable the lack of leadership. So I 100 percent agree that blood is and will be on Joe Biden's hands and this Congress will hold him accountable. Anything you would add to that? No, I mean, Mike and I work closely together in Armed Services Committee, and I'm so proud of him for his service to our nation as a Green Beret and all that he has done. And he is leading. He is on the phone. He knows individuals there at the airport that are serving our nation. And as uh, we and other offices have calls from our district of individuals who say, hey, I've got relatives or that need to get out. Uh, we are coordinating with Mike Waltz's office and some of the other uh, members' offices who have direct knowledge of individuals there on the ground, and they are being successful in helping get these individuals out. They tell them which gate to go to. They they communicate with our people there at the gate to make sure that they uh, are able to get through. But it's a sad statement that members of Congress are happy to do these the coordination of rescue efforts when this should be something that the Department of Defense is doing or the Department of State. But this administration is just so incompetent that it's up to us as members of Congress to try to help these individuals. And it's a very, very sad state. And I couldn't agree more with this comment that if an American 
life is lost due to this incompetence, the blood of their uh, of them will be on President Biden's hands. It has been in crisis uh, for more than a week now. Is there anything getting better in Afghanistan from your perspective? Well, we had a briefing today uh, for a little while until it was cut short so that we could go and vote on uh, Speaker Pelosi's number one bill, which is to pass a three and a half trillion dollar spending boondoggle that's going to further put us in debt, uh, promote socialism and fuel inflation. That is where her priorities were. But during the brief uh, hearing that we did have in the briefing, they did share that there was uh, some Americans that they have been able to get out. There are some Afghanis they were able to get out, but it is not enough. And as you look at the numbers that we uh, think that are there of individuals who need to get out, it, it's very concerning how they could get out by August 31st, this arbitrary deadline. I don't believe they can happen. And we're going to have to go beyond that deadline or Biden is going to have to make a tough choice. Do we uh, continue to acquiesce to the Taliban and say, okay, you said we can't stay more than the 31st. Okay, we're out and leave our citizens there, leave these Afghan interpreters who deserve to come out? Or is he going to stand with our country and try to save our citizens, but potentially um, involve and, and spark the Taliban for, to retaliate? It's a no good situation with uh, no easy answers, and it is a crisis of Biden's own making. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks so much. And coming up, we're going to talk about how things are going for Christians in Afghanistan. Stay with us. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in his image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. 
Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for a Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. To Washington Watch, Joseph back home, sitting in for Tony today. Just had a great conversation with Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler as she talked about the Biden administration's uh, latest statement today, where they've essentially said, oh, we think we're going to stand with our August 31st deadline, but maybe we're going to need to stay a little longer. And one of the challenges for the Biden administration now in uh, quote unquote negotiations and conversations with the Taliban is that the Biden administration voluntarily surrendered all of its leverage. And President Biden has essentially already, he, in reports for today, are that he's already moving the troops out of the Kabul airport. He has already said that he doesn't want to send anyone else there. He wants no more conflict. He wants everyone out. Of course, that means, if that is the position of the White House, uh, that we aren't prepared to do anything if the Taliban um, does not like what we are doing. And if the Taliban does something that we don't like, we appear to not be willing to retaliate and defend ourselves in any way. So negotiations are difficult when you have no leverage and when you refuse to give yourself leverage. Because frankly, at this point, uh, despite having the Taliban under our thumb for 20 years in Afghanistan with a really modest uh, troop level of recently of 2,500 troops, um, there seems to be no stomach for any further conflict, which means uh, the United States government appears to be willing to simply surrender if we need to, or if the Taliban wants us to. And so with respect to the Americans who are still stranded there, if they are there after the August 31st deadline, though the Biden administration uh, thankfully seems to be making statements indicating that it will stay longer if we need to get our citizens, it remains to be seen if we're actually willing to uh, use force to defend our citizens and to defend ourselves, which of course, when you are dealing with terrorists, is something that is or could be necessary. But unfortunately, we got rid of all of our leverage um, before we got to the point of conflict. And so um, we are, our next conversation, uh, we want to talk about, and we're waiting to get uh, Jeff King of the president of International Christian Concern on the line, um, because one of the emerging issues out of all of this is how is this affecting those who are on the ground? The Taliban announced today that that it had closed the way to Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul and will only let foreigners through. 
Now, of course, the White House's statements and, and goal right now and for the for the country is not only to get Americans who are stuck in Afghanistan out of Afghanistan, but also to get those who helped the United States out of Afghanistan as well, because there is good reason to think that life would be very difficult uh, for them with the Taliban in control. And of course, that is a gross understatement. So we are trying to get our friends out. But the Taliban is no longer allowing Afghani nationals to the Kabul airport. Another instance in which it begs the question, so what are we going to do about it? And we have reason to believe that the Biden administration's position is absolutely nothing. So it is hard to negotiate from that position of weakness. And because the Taliban nationals are, are staying there and they are going to be targeted, international Christian concern is tracking the situation there on the ground. And we are still waiting to hear uh, from Jeff King and discuss uh, this, that situation uh, with him. Um, one of the questions that I have, and I think something we all need to, to think about for those of us who have never uh, been to Afghanistan or live in Afghanistan, we're trying to put ourselves in the mind of, of those who are Afghani Christians who are living there. And a situation where your nation has been uh, overtaken by terrorists. And uh, for the last week or so, many have had hope that, well, I can get to the airport Hopefully, and if I can get to the airport, maybe I can get out of here and the United States government will help me get out of here. But if that road literally is closed and we are no longer allowed to get to the airport, what options do Afghani Christians have? Um, we think about if, if you're living in California or you're living in New York or you're living in West Virginia and this kind of situation happens to you, you start thinking about what are the roads out of here? Is there a path over the mountains that my family and I could hike through? Um, and in Afghanistan, the terrain there is challenging to say the least. And sometimes the neighboring nations don't want you and the path between uh, where you are and where you would like to be is is not hospitable, uh, either climate wise or because of the people who are in control of that region. So the fact of the matter is they are in a very, very difficult situation as they just on, on a very practical level try to assess what their options are. What can I do? Uh, can I climb out? Do I have to hide? Am I going to convert and pretend not to be a Christian? These are the dilemmas that our brothers and sisters are facing. And, and some of them have committed, and we've, we've heard from pastors in Afghanistan who have simply said, we're going to stay here and shepherd our flock. And there are people who are prepared to be martyred for their faith. And we need to pray for them because the reality of, of the church is that that's sometimes what happens. And that is sometimes what God calls us to. And we hope that that's not going to be the future, but there are many in Afghanistan who are contemplating that as their future, and we need to be in prayer for them, because that may be the, the road that they face. And of course, there are great treasures in heaven for those when that happens. But uh, we certainly hope that's not going to be the case. We hope that the White House is going to be able to somehow find some leverage, somehow use some leverage. Another part of the conversation, and we're going to get to this a little later in the program, and this is irrelevant to this conversation of what's going to happen to Afghani Christians, is the G7 summit met today. And this is uh, Biden met with them. They met virtually to discuss the situation in Afghanistan. And one of the considerations 
is, will we as the G7 nations, is the international community going to recognize the Taliban? And the hope is that that might be leverage in a way to get the Taliban to behave. Now, of course, their, their, their record with respect to human rights is not good. But they're hoping that with respect to religious freedom, with respect to human rights, perhaps the Taliban, in, in an attempt to get uh, legitimacy on the international stage from the international community, might be willing to um, change their ways, to begin to treat women as equals, as humans with rights, to begin to treat religious minorities as equals with rights. And remember, this is not just about the Christian minorities in Afghanistan. They are a minority, perhaps the smallest religious minority, uh, but they are not the only religious minority in Afghanistan. And the Taliban is not tolerant of any of them. So these are some of the conversations. Uh, these are some of the concerns for religious minorities in the country. And next, we're going to talk about this uh, when we come back with General Boykin. All about it more. Stay with Are us. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAN to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAN to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Back to Washington Watch, Joseph Backholm in for Tony today. Yesterday, CIA Director William Burns reportedly met in secret with Taliban leader Mullah Abdul Ghani Bar Baradar in Kabul. The meeting was first reported by the Washington Post, later confirmed by other news outlets. It was the highest level in-person meeting between the Biden administration and the Taliban since the group's takeover of Kabul. What can we learn from it? With me now to talk about it is FRC's Executive Vice President, Lieutenant General 
Jerry Boykin, who was one of the original members of U.S. Army's Delta Force. He also spent the last four years of his 36-year military career serving as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. General, welcome back to the program. Uh, Thank you very much, Joseph. Well, my first question is, are we now negotiating with terrorists? Yep, we are. You put it exactly the way it is. Uh, They have demonstrated uh, that they are terrorists and uh, they were harboring terrorists. And uh, they are now uh, have sworn an allegiance to terrorists, that being uh, al-Qaeda. What can you tell me about uh, Mullah Abdul Ghani Baradar? And I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. Well, it's close enough, as close as anybody else can do. So don't worry <laughs> about it. But uh, in 1994, I think uh, he is, was really the founder of uh, the Taliban. Uh, in 2001, he was captured in Pakistan. Uh, And he spent uh, eight years uh, being held, I will say, imprisoned. And then uh, he was released in 2018, and he's been in exile. So uh, he just returned within the last few days, and and he got a a hero's welcome uh, by the Taliban when he came back. He is also known to be a bloody man. He is... uh, a uh, man who believes in the strictest interpretations of Sharia. So everyone that is talking about the uh, concerns about women, they're absolutely right to be worried uh, because Sharia, when interpreted the way he does, is very brutal on women. And we remember the images 20 years ago. You're too young, but uh, some of us still remember the images of them bringing women that uh, had been accused of uh, with no uh, due process, accused of a variety of things, going out of the house without a male in their family, escorting them, and et cetera. And they were brought out onto the uh, soccer field, and they were executed on the soccer field. That's that's the man that uh, we were negotiating with. Now, I'm, help me understand this, because practically speaking, you, you know a lot more about this, but why didn't we, like— Three months ago, once we were committed to this plan, basically notify the Taliban that, you know, if anyone, including your cat, gets within 100 miles of the Kabul airport, we're going to blow up something really important to, to you and just say, this is our perimeter. Don't cross this line. And if you do, we're going to punish you for it. And then we'll be gone. Why didn't that happen? Uh, I hope you don't think that I can answer for the Biden administration. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, I believe that the military commanders must have given them uh, some kind of recommendation along those lines. Maybe not exactly, but I think that uh, the military guys on the ground there knew what they were going to be up against. And I suspect, and in fact, I know in some cases that they uh, recommended that they keep the military in place until the evacuation was over with and then evacuate the military. And uh, and right. obviously they did it just backwards. They uh, eliminated uh, seven bases to include uh, the, the big base uh, there at, uh, I forget the name now, how, how quickly we forget, but 
the uh, the main base that they had been operating out of and uh, Bagram, and they got rid of that, and they did away with the other six, and they started bringing all the troops out, and then the evacuation started, uh, with the lead agency being the State Department. And keep in mind that is nor that is the norm for the uh, State Department to be in charge of a non combatant evacuation operation, NEO. However, the military is the backbone of that. It always is the backbone of that. So what did they wind up doing? They took out 2,500 and brought in almost 6,000. That, that, that is illogical. Uh, and why they did it this way, I cannot begin to understand. So when the CIA goes to have this meeting with the Taliban, do we have any leverage Uh, No, we don't. You know, we have elements of national power. We recognize seven elements of national power, military being one, diplomacy being one, uh, economics, intelligence, uh, a variety of things. We went in with nothing, nothing but a hope and a prayer that we would see the goodwill of the Taliban uh, prevail here and uh, and allow us – a time to get our people out, as well as the Afghans who worked with us for 20 years. Relying on the goodwill of the Taliban is a place no one uh, wants to be, yet that's where we have found ourselves, and I fear it's because uh, we chose that. General Boykin, thanks for your time. Thank you. And it is I keep looking for a reason to believe it's not actually as bad as it sounds, and I can't find it. But here we are, coming up uh, after the break. Now that members of the House are back, what's on their plate? House of Representatives is back in Washington, D.C. To what extent is the situation in Afghanistan affecting what they're doing on the Hill? We're going to talk about it with Congressman Andy Biggs when we come back after the break. Stay with us. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. 
Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. He'll be back with you next week. The United States is facing a slew of crises within our borders, at our borders, and beyond our borders. But the priority of Democrat leaders is a massive new spending plan with money that we don't have. The world's burning down with Afghanistan. Of course, you know, crime out of control in the United States of America, even though the Biden administration tells us inflation doesn't exist. I just got some gasoline. I can tell you it does. All these things are happening, and you think we'd be here in Washington, D.C. in August to deal with those things. But we're not. We are not. We are here to pass what essentially is the Green New Deal, or to vote on the Green New Deal. I call it the Red New Deal because it supports the Chinese Communist Party and we'll, we'll soak American employers in red ink, and we'll be handing out pink slips across America if this thing passes. That was Congressman Scott Perry during yesterday's House Freedom Caucus press conference. And the caucus yesterday took an official position opposing both the $3.5 trillion reconciliation process and the $1.2 trillion Senate-passed infrastructure bill. And joining me now to talk about this is U.S. Congressman Andy Biggs, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. He represents the 5th Congressional District of Arizona. Congressman Biggs, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks, Joseph. Good to be with you. Well, good to have you. When the House recessed, the situation in Afghanistan uh, was not what it is now. Now that you are back, do you feel like it's affected either the mood or the agenda on the Hill? Well, it certainly has affected the mood. Um, you know, all Republicans and some Democrats view what has happened in Afghanistan as being a, a horrific debacle, uh, a humanitarian crisis, as well as an embarrassment to us uh, internationally. But but um, we have got a lot of Democrats that still want to uh, blame Donald Trump for everything and and uh, divert attention away from uh, Joe Biden. So. Um, yeah, it's it's it is it, the mood is is palpable here, um, but uh, uh, the Democrats still want to distract us by spending uh, trillions of dollars. 
Well, and to your point, the House voted today to pass Biden's $3.5 trillion budget plan. Uh, does it surprise you that Pelosi was able to get that through so quickly, despite what's going on overseas? Well, yeah. So what, what, what's done, she, she did a, used a rule to force it down everybody's throat. Um, so she used a procedural tactic to start, to start it up. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm a bit surprised at it because there were a number of Democrats that were holding out last night. Um, but by the time we got around to it, we get, in fact, literally getting ready to go vote on that. Um, well, we just finished voting on that rule, but we've got the, the election bill to come up next. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the, the Democrats that were holding out collapsed very quickly. But I do know this, that she was putting all kinds of pressure. She was threatening them that, that they were going to mess with their districts, run people against them, and, and knock them out of office. And so uh, that, that got the attention of some, some people so that they ended up supporting her after all. Do you think that's what this boils down to when there are some moderate Democrats who either blink at some of the policy embedded within this budget or simply the price tag? That is it as simple as, hey, I'm going to take away your job if you don't do this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, it's power politics. Um, and unfortunately, um, some people would rather um, lose their, uh, their principles instead of lose their job. And until we stand up uh, unitedly as Americans against that kind of uh, tyranny, uh, you're going to see that kind of uh, uh, power politics right here in Washington, D.C. What is coming next now that uh, Pelosi has... Uh... More, more quickly than expected, got the budget through. Uh, what does she have next on her agenda for the House? Well, we're, we're going to be voting on real quickly um, one of their election uh, bills. This, this would actually federalize elections, give incredible power to the central government, uh, and take it away from the states and local jurisdictions, which have the constitutional right and obligation to run elections. Um, that's, what we're, that's what she's going to cram through next. Um, the question is, will any of this, what will get through the Senate of any of this, either the spending bills or this, um, or this uh, very, very dangerous election law bill? Well, we know that there, the Senate is going to be, or at least it, it should be, the more difficult path for this, for this budget that passed out of the House today. But there have been threats from the from the House side that they will not vote on the Senate infrastructure bill until the Senate passes this three and a half trillion dollar budget boondoggle. Do you think the House is going to uh, make good on that threat? And if so, is there going to be a standoff between the House and the Senate? Well, Nancy Pelosi, that's that's one of the things that she was trying to leverage um, because she wants that three and a half trillion dollar spending bill. And so um, right now you've got a couple of Democrat senators that are holding out. I think they will continue to hold out. You've got members of the House uh, left, left wing of the, the House Democrats that are begging Joe Biden to put pressure on those two senators. And, and the question is, how much pressure can those senators take? Um, I know that there's literally been millions of dollars spent in Arizona because one of those senators is, is uh, our senator, Kirsten Sinema. And they've spent millions of dollars trying to um, bash her and influence her to, to vote um, for this, this spending package. And she so far has said, no, I'm not going to do it. That's, it's irresponsible, et cetera. So 
they they're going to keep putting pressure, trying to ratchet it up, and um, and in the meantime, uh, th- those moderate Democrats in the House um, have to decide how they're going to approach it because there'll be another vote on the on both of these bills um, before too very long. And I think that's an important point for everybody to be remembering and, and, and frankly, praying for as well. And you talked about Kristen Sinema in Arizona and, and also uh, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia are two senators who seem to be hesitant uh, to vote for much of the policy embedded within this within this budget proposal, because as has been pointed out today, it really does look like the Green New Deal. And as well as just the price tag here, which uh, in, in light of the inflation numbers that we have, uh, might just be unaffordable. But Congressman Andy Biggs, really appreciate your time and uh, for taking a break, because I know you got more work to do tonight, but appreciate you coming to be with us today. You bet, Joseph. Thanks so much. And next, we're going to continue this conversation about how this uh, is going to play out on Capitol Hill, and we're going to bring in FRC's Vice President for Public Policy and Government Affairs is Travis Weber. Travis, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Well, give us a little review here because we're dealing with this $1.2 trillion infrastructure package that the Senate has passed, sent over to the House. The House now passed this $3.5 trillion budget that has been that is going over to the Senate. What's FRC's take on all of this? Yeah, so there are a lot of moving parts here. You've got really three pieces. One, uh, the budget uh, reconciliation package, the budget re- budget resolution that was passed today. Number two, the infrastructure bill, which is being talked about. And third, the H.R. 4, the John Lewis Voting Rights Bill, which is being discussed. What happened just now in the House was that they passed the resolution uh, the budget resolution. So what this does is it instructs uh, committees now to write the bill, write the budget bill, the $3.5 trillion bill, and outlines for them how to do that. And within that outline are a number of bad provisions on life. This um, it would expand Obamacare provisions that would subsidize abortion, expand Medicaid that would uh, include money that Hyde is not applied to, that would fund abortion, host of other bad pro-life provisions to say nothing of the larger radical social policies like uh, expanded government state-run child care and education for young children that would break down parental authority and the structure of the family. All of this is in the instruction for how to write the bill. So we're going to expect a very radical bill uh, that we're going to you know, back up with $3.5 trillion of spending. Obviously, a lot of the, de- the Democrats want to really push this. This vote on the resolution that starts this moving today was tied to the infrastructure bill, because as you heard Congressman Biggs talk about, you had moderate Democrats that wanted that infrastructure bill. Pelosi, though, wanted to strong arm them into supporting the the budget resolution. So what happened today was there was an agreement that was reached in the the procedural mechanism of the vote that said we're going to get a vote on the infrastructure bill before September 27th. And meanwhile, today, start the process of writing this $3.5 trillion uh, reconciliation bill. So we're looking right now at an upcoming infrastructure vote, an upcoming uh, recon- uh, budget bill that's going to have a lot of bad policies in it, and the House still voting perhaps today, tonight, or tomorrow on H.R. 4, the Democrats' bill that they purport to be about voting rights, which is a massive federal takeover of elections that would result in uh, the federal government basically stifling states' ability to pass good laws on life, family, and freedom. So there's a lot going on. Meanwhile, uh, you know, all the focus on Afghanistan, 
Um, there's a lot that the Democrats are pushing through in Congress right now or trying to push through, uh, while a lot of the world is understandably focused overseas. Yeah, it is, it is surprising to me that uh, there seems to have been no even acknowledgement in the House, at least, of what's going on in Afghanistan. And it's, it's uh, full, steam, full speed ahead for the domestic agenda and really the spending agenda. But it's easy to get lost in the uh, procedural maze on Capitol Hill for the uninitiated. And you talked about the fact that what was passed today in the House was a budget resolution which instructs all the committees to draft this bill. Does this mean that when they go draft the bill uh, consistently, consistent with the resolution from today, there will be another vote that has to take place at the House? We will get a vote on um, the actual budget or reconciliation uh, package that, that we uh, uh, end up with after the, the drafting of the bill. So, yes, there will be there will be another vote on this. There's also going to be another vote on the on the um, infrastructure bill because today's vote was procedural. Um, the vote authorized a, a authorized a vote basically on the infrastructure bill before September 27th, and we will get an impending vote on HR uh, four sometime tonight. So three different votes, three different uh, bills we're talking about, and some of these at the procedural uh, le level. You could put it that way, as opposed to the you know the actual passage of the bill. In light of the fact that the budget resolution was voted on and already passed, do you think there's any chance that the vote on final passage, once the bill is written, would be any different? Probably not in the House, you know, and this is where, although the Democrats have a thin margin, uh, you know, you saw Pelosi strong arm them into supporting this despite their desire to have an infrastructure vote before the budget resolution vote. So, I don't see any reason why that won't hold for the passage of the bill in the Senate. It's going to be a much closer call. And this is where, you know, Congressman Biggs was talking about the focus on Manchin and Cinema, the other borderline senators. Um, you know, we're going to be looking very closely at what ends up in that bill. I mentioned some of the bad uh, pro-life possibilities that are in the instruction, which is public already, the instruction for how to write the bill. We'll see what's in the final text, but I expect we're going to see provisions that are bad on life, bad on family and sexuality, and frankly, bad for religious freedom. Even the infrastructure bill itself, uh, we scored against this and lobbied against it because the bill has social experimentation provisions in there that inject sexual orientation and gender identity protections into federal law, special protections into federal law um, in an infrastructure bill. You know, so why is this, these social these progressive social policies of the Democrats, why are they in infrastructure bills? I mean, that alone was bad enough. We're going to expect a lot worse when it comes to the budget bill. Um, but we are doing our best to stay on top of all these bills, uh, lobbying and, and uh, scoring against in our scorecard, the infrastructure bill, as well as H.R. 4, when that comes up for a vote. And uh, we expect to be uh, working against the Democrats' bad reconciliation bill once we see final text a few weeks from now as uh, they continue that process in the House and at the Senate. Travis, you mentioned the reasons to be concerned about the uh, implications for life and religious freedom and some of the, the sexual orientation, gender identity components of this bill. But 
what are the policy specifics in this bill that get the left, that get Nancy Pelosi so excited about it that she wants to prioritize it? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, again, th this is pertaining to the reconciliation bill. We, we have an instruction coming out of this res after the resolution today authorizing how th them to write the bill. But in that instruction, you see basically Democrats' uh, policy proposals for Green New Deal, for everything that they think will help address climate change, uh, basically a lot of policies setting up, expanding the role and size of the federal government beyond where it is right now uh, to include the universal pre-K and child care provisions that I mentioned. Uh, you just see across the board Democrats looking to uh, increase government control over Americans' lives. This is not limited to the uh, infrastructure or to the uh, reconciliation bill. H.R. 4, the problem with H.R. 4 is it would require the Department of Justice, and that means Biden's Department of Justice pre-clearing, basically authorizing and approving state election laws before they can go into effect. If this passes, if this, if H.R. 4 becomes the law, we're looking at the end of Republicans' ability to pass pro-life laws at the state level. You look at Republican gains, the current situation where you have Republicans controlling around 30 state uh, legislatures, and uh, some of those including government uh, um, holding the executive branch as well. The ability of those states to act on our interests and act to protect life, um, gone, gone, once you see H.R. 4 in place, because Biden's DOJ is now approving these states' ability to pass pro-life laws. So control government and funding government to increase its size crossing the board. Travis Weber, really appreciate your time. Thank you. And there is much to be in prayer about and in concerned about because it really does have widespread implications uh, for every election, for your freedom, and really for the future of our country because we're, frankly, spending our great-grandchildren's money, and they may not appreciate that. But there's going to be a lot more to talk about domestically as well as updates from Afghanistan tomorrow when we return on Washington Watch. We'll see you then. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.